HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. We do more varieties and flavors of cheese than anywhere else on earth. By pushing the boundaries of what cheese can and should be, find your next favorite cheese at wisconsincheese.com. This is What Doesn't Kill You, Food Industry Insights. I am your host, Katie Kiefer, and today we're going to be speaking with Magali Licoli. Uh, She was formerly the executive director of Northwest Arkansas Workers Justice Center, but she is now the co-founder and director of Venceremos, a worker-based organization in Arkansas whose mission is to ensure the human rights of poultry workers. Venceremos seeks to spearhead adaptation of the worker-driven social responsibility model to the poultry supply chain, which God knows needs it, as does every other uh, basically, uh, food worker <laughs> organization in the country. Um, Magali, welcome. And thank you so much for uh, giving me more of your time. Um, people should know that uh, Magali is also featured in one of our most recent big food question um, segments. So if you want to learn more, uh, go ahead and listen to that. But uh, we'll be covering a lot of the same uh, territory today. So so Magali, let's start with um, just give us a quick thumbnail of what is Venceremos? How does it work? Yes, thank you so much for inviting me to the to your. You bet show. you, girl. Yeah, so Venceremos uh, was born uh, in 2019 in October. It's a worker-led organization. So I co-founded Venceremos with a group of poultry women workers working in different plants in the Northwest Arkansas. And uh, we was born with the idea after traveling to Imokali, Florida in 2018, the idea of adopting, adapting the worker-driven social responsibility model. So Venceremos works to ensure the human rights of poultry workers uh, in Arkansas, but eventually we hope that we can expand this model to other states to to protect more poultry workers. Sure, absolutely. So how is your model more effective than, say, you know, bringing in a union? Because it seems to me that like the Immokalee tomato workers, you know, this is what you model your organization after. They they were able to affect real change in their industry. How, what is different from the way they you and they operate than, than a union would operate, for instance? Yeah, well, I've been working directly with poultry workers for seven years and we are here um, 
we lived in Arkansas. Arkansas is a right-to-work state, but also is a corporate state. So corporations have a lot of influence over the government. And uh, being in a right-to-work state also makes the, the unions pretty weak and not really functioning as this as they should. So I know through my experience that workers tend to not uh, trust the unions. And unions are not doing a lot of work of expanding uh, more unions into processing plants you know i think only 20 percent of the industry is unionized and in arkansas only right. one plant in in dardanelle is the only tyson plant that is unionized so really uh-huh. there is not unions you know it's uh, uh, the unions are not as strong so therefore workers do not trust the unions and it's just uh you know an ongoing uh issue sure well you know i want to dial this back for a second Remind us of what right to work state means. I think there's a lot of people who are not clear on what that means. And I I, I want you to define that. And especially because it sounds so positive. Yes, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. So really, basically, the the dark part of that is that uh, the bosses can fire you for any reason or not reason at all. So uh, the the. The employ, they, yeah, the employers can fire workers for any reason. So that at will, at will, yeah. So really, that affects a lot of workers that get retaliated against for speaking up in their jobs. So that makes it more complicated for workers to empower themselves uh, because really there is not uh, a, a leverage for them to fight. And also, uh, it's like this union busting, you know, that it's very dominant in the South that the unions are not as strong because of that. So it makes it really hard for uh, any union to, to, to be, yeah, to campaign in the South. That's right. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. I, I just wanted to make sure that people understood exactly what that means because it is, it, it does, as you said, it sounds so positive. Um, you also mentioned something just now about how um, Arkansas is is heavily controlled by these corporate uh, entities such as Tyson, which has a lot of plants down in uh, in that area. And I wanted you to talk a little bit about the conflict uh, that is presented by companies like Tyson who donate heavily to local charities and yet continue to exploit workers to their advantage. So, uh, you know, to me, that's like they are buying incredible public relations. Oh, yes. And, and as I said to you before we went on the air, um, you know, I just read this piece in uh, Drover's Daily or something like that about how Tyson was donating $50 million in bonuses to, you know, frontline workers. Well, you know, uh, that's great. Um, but where's the wage increase? Where's the bathroom breaks? Where's the, you know, where are the human yeah. rights here? So talk a little bit about that, how that plays out in uh, communities in your area of Northwest Arkansas. Yeah, well, uh, I think uh, it's very important for people to understand, like this company, like the meat industry and the poultry industry have a lot of, have gained a lot of political power through lobbying, to controlling the government and the narratives in their own communities. And so, for instance, Tyson has been very successful in controlling the narratives in the communities where they are. Tyson is based in Arkansas. Yep. So therefore, they have a lot of influence over their government, but also another 
another way to influence or to control or to maintain power is by charity. You know, charity can be uh, is is useful in places where there is a lot of injustice. Yes. Uh, but the 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 bad side of that is that these companies use charity in a very evil way to in the ways to control the narratives and the communities. For example, when I began organizing poultry workers in 2014, well, I first was, uh, in 2013 was when I began hearing the stories of workers directly of how they were unable to work due to accidents, injuries. And to me was shocking that most of these workers didn't have any justice, like workers who had accidents on those plants were left out with any jobs, with any possibility to find new jobs because of their conditions, their health conditions. But also it was shocking to me that these workers didn't have any legal leverage to fight back. And so because here it's very difficult to find lawyers or attorneys, they will go against these companies, right? Wow. And so, um, and, and also the, the, a lot of the churches where these workers go receive funding from uh, these companies. So it's very hard for um, for the workers to speak about their own issues. So in 2014, when I began trying to seek solutions, it was even a taboo on mites with uh, talking about the issues with poultry workers with other community leaders. You know, when I brought the issue like, oh, wait, we are fighting here for immigrants. We are fighting here for for justice, human rights, but what about the accountability of these corporations, what they're doing to create the cycles of poverty in our communities? But this suddenly, that was like a moment of silence. Nobody wanted to talk about that. (laughs) To me, it was like, well, we need to tackle this issue. We need to, in order to change systemically the problems, um, we need to uh, help these companies accountable for what they're doing because they are creating this exploitation going on in our communities that nobody wants to talk about. And so really when I began, uh, when I was the director of the Worker Justice Center, for instance, it was very hard uh, to continue the work the way that it was needed to empower workers, to uplift workers' voices, because they saw that I was I was too radical, you know, the suddenly to fight uh-huh. for justice is too radical in Arkansas. Right, yes, right. <laughs> it is too radical because we need to tackle the real issues. Yeah. And so uh, there was, uh, I've been retaliated against too in a community isolated, you know, I've been uh, named uh, militant, I've been named radical, but I've been named those names because the work that we are doing has been really effective, you know, Uh creating the space for workers to speak up. And so it's been a a journey of gaining first the trust of workers, because when you're organized with poultry workers that have been dehumanized for decades, that feel hopeless in the environment where they are, where there's uh, anti-immigrant laws, where nobody can talk about against these corporations, Right. Uh, 
when I began talking to these workers about we we have to change things, the workers were like, no, Magali, nobody can against these companies. They were already stated that they were powerless, you know, about changing their own working conditions. So for me, it's been a journey to be alongside with poultry workers to create the solutions because I needed to gain the trust that the workers trusted me uh, to lead this fight with them. And it's been uh, 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 an ongoing work, you know. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, it's, it ain't fixed yet. Exactly. <laughs> because workers sometimes call me and say, are you with Tyson or not? And I'm like, no. Yikes. You know, it's just because, and I don't blame them because no. they, they know that if they go to a, an organization to receive services or resources, they know that these organizations are also receiving funding from Tyson. So they know that even though they need them, they won't trust them necessarily, you know? Sure. So that's how the charity part of this works. Yeah. Is that these organizations that are theoretically providing resources or services to poultry workers are actually uh, tools, you know, essentially funded by Tyson and is, and probably act as, oh, I don't know, I mean, I don't want to say that they're rats or or, you know, deliberately, deliberately harming workers. But the end result is, is that they cannot provide the real service needed, which is to try to address some of these fundamental uh, injustices that you're dealing with. Um, so, so one of the other things I wanted to talk about, like among many things before we get too far into this is, um, is, uh, and we talked about this before, but, but they, Tyson, you know, ran that ad in the New York Times and other major uh, national newspapers saying, you know, where our food chain is breaking down, uh, meat workers have to be recognized as an essential service and the government, you know, has to pledge that meat workers have to stay in their jobs and so forth um, so that they can keep their supply chain running. And so, um, you know, there were a lot of a lot of meatpacking workers, not just poultry, but all across the protein uh, categories. A lot of those workers got sick. Many, many of them died, but tens of thousands of them got very sick. Um, uh, have and eventually, Tyson et al. have had to put some money into PPE, uh, per, you know, personal protective equipment, et cetera. But but do you feel that they have ultimately done what is necessary? to increase the safety of poultry workers in their plants, or is it more or less window dressing? Yeah, no, not necessarily they have addressed. They've been, you know, uh, in March of 2020, when the economy shut down and everybody went home to work from home and the central right. workers had to remain in their jobs, um, we knew that the, the workers were not protected. They were not given PPE right. adequate. Um, they were not even allowed to practice social distancing because of the ways that the company it was structured. And so uh, we had to organize uh, with the workers and help them, you know, to organize uh, the workers to to fight, to stand up and demand that. So it's been a, sure. a really cluster of actions that we've been doing and that we know that because of that, Tyson uh, and other companies began providing this, the basic benefits. However, we knew that there were uh, demands that workers were demanding back in April of 2020. That was the the really the tracing workers uh and that were in contact with positive cases to uh, notified workers who were exposed to cases to uh, to uh give workers quarantine you know 
Yeah. And none of that, th- those are really the, some of the basics to stop the, uh, the spread, you know? Sure. To Absolutely. Contact tracing, to put people in quarantine, to notify people. And those things, they refuse to do that because they knew if they were going to do that, they wouldn't have workers in the plant anymore. And they were going right. to be forced to shut down precisely because they didn't want to do that. They refused to notify workers and they're still refusing that. So the really? companies haven't learned, you know, the lessons and they because they don't want to, they don't care for workers. They see these workers as expendable. So yes. as of now, on December of 2020, the company is still refusing to tell the workers who were exposed to COVID cases. They are still not putting workers in quarantine. They are still not tracing workers and they are not providing testing to workers. Wow. So it's still like uh, Tyson with this new announcement of uh, vaccinating workers. The vaccines are just a a part of that, but it's not everything, you know? Right. Uh, And here in communities where a lot of people are rejecting the the vaccines, we don't have any immunization in the community. You know, I think only 30% of the population in Arkansas are vaccinated. So workers, even though they are vaccinated, they are still exposed to virus there are still new variants you know yes and they can still spread it and and i'm I'm just going to remind my listeners here um because last year uh i followed i don't know if you're familiar with the food and environment reporting network otherwise known as fern and wonderful reporter leah douglas who's now with reuters she was the person who kept track of all the numbers in fact she testified in in front of congress as i recall or at least she provided uh that house committee that you stood in front of as well um with some of the numbers that she had gleaned Uh, with great difficulty. And one of the things that was clear from her research was that it wasn't just workers in the plants who were getting sick. The community spread was that much exponentially more in in communities where there were meatpacking plants just because of this. So it wasn't just the workers. It was their families. It was the mm-hmm. grocery store people. It was the kids in school. Everything was in had was uh, had this uh, you know ripple out effect from the fact that that they they were not providing the basics for uh, the workers in the poultry plants or whatever plant it is. So anyway, sorry we digress there. So. But what else could they? Okay, so now Tyson says they've vaccinated ninety percent of their workforce or whatever. What what else do you think needs to be done? You're saying that they need more ta- tracing, contact tracing, contact, uh, you know, more testing. I think everybody should have at home tests. Myself, that's that's what I think would solve this in, to some degree. But what else should happen? Yeah, but what the, the plan? Yeah, but one of the major things that the company should be doing is to remove the the fault point system that punishes workers for coming in sick. Uh, for missing work, for being sick. So a lot of workers uh, before the pandemic were used to come to work while sick to avoid getting these points. Right. The situation right now, it's getting worse. You know, workers are not having enough breaks. Workers are less workers processing the same or more, you know, and working faster. They don't have basic leave. So those benefits, like basic leave is so essential. And I want to take a a parenthesis because Tyson has also 
announce in this PR campaign that they are going to provide basic lift to workers. So when you read the headlines, it just sounds so amazing as the right to work status will sound. Uh, right. But really what it is, is that Tyson Wool is going to provide basic lift to workers who are vaccinated starting next year and only providing 20 uh, 20 hours of recruit basic leave. So 20 hours per year is a job, you know, like, sure. like it's just only two days of work, uh, of missing work. So that is wow. not uh, what workers deserve. Workers deserve adequate basic leave. They deserve to be stay at home, to not be afraid of losing their jobs because they were sick and they had to miss work. So these things were essential, you know, and the decision of workers, while many workers kept on coming sick, is because they were didn't have any other option. And right. so the companies still have in place the systems that keep perpetuating this uh, sickness, uh, cycles of sickness. And so... Uh, yeah, the company should be doing more than mandating vaccines. Right, right. I mean, that's a huge thing right there. Basic sick leave. Basic. I mean, every other industry provides their workers with basic sick leave. I mean, you get at yeah. least five or six days a year, which again, not, not a lot, but still, I mean, two is just a joke. So let's move on for a second here. Cause I wanted to talk, you know, we just, I just mentioned uh, Fern and the, and the um, uh, Leah Douglas's uh, testimony for uh, in front of the congressional subcommittee. And you also testified uh, in front of that subcommittee on October 27th of this year. And they focused on how the, you know, the congressional committee focused on how the uh, meatpacking industry responded to COVID. Um, but did you feel like you were actually speaking to a receptive audience in Congress? I mean, were these people actually listening to what you were saying? Because the abuse of workers in meatpacking isn't just COVID related. It is a decades long issue. Um, were people sort of informed about what it's like to work in meatpacking already and you were just amplifying that? Or was all of this brand new? Were they receptive? How did they respond? Yeah, it was a, a very unique uh, in our moment, uh, to be honest, because um, yeah. the Republicans were not receptive at all. I mean, I think the Democrats, they did a good job since April of this year to uh, investigate what really happened to the meat workers, uh, meatpacking workers in America. Uh, we were actually in contact uh, with them, um, providing uh, interviews with workers, so they were were interviewing workers here in Arkansas. Uh, we were um, providing real facts and um, and evidence about how the company purposely uh, exposed workers to get sick and die. And so they did a good job of uh, collecting all this data, you know, to yep. understand that and to this here and to really uh, help these companies accountable. Because as I mentioned before, there is no regulations right. on this meat uh, in this industry. And it's needed to, uh, in order to overcome this pandemic, it, this company needs to be held accountable for what they did in 2020 to avoid that they continue doing that this in the next years, you know. Yep. In 2021. And so uh, the in the hearing, uh, the Republicans were just off the topic. You know, they just completely refused to listen. They were very strong witnesses in that hearing. Uh, 
saying firsthand uh, about how they experienced the pandemic in the in the in the meatpacking plants or the poultry plants. And so it was shocking that these people were just trying to avoid the issue by just saying that we sh- they shouldn't be focusing on, on the meatpacking industry. They should be focusing on where the virus came from and that they <laughs> should be investigating China. And it, I mean, it was shocking because really, if you uh, recall, uh, during the Trump administration, they spent the first months of the pandemic denying that there was such a pandemic, there was such a virus, you know. Right, right. That absolutely. It was their turn, really, to investigate what was happening then. But they just spent those months saying that they didn't exist. So yes. now they are just avoiding the real issues, the, the, the stories of people who had been dying, who had uh, who had been exposed, who had been suffering for the lack of leadership during that that administration. And now they are turning into the issue as if we were beginning the pandemic. I mean, that is just I mean, I'm not Whoa. saying it's important, but really. Where are we as a country, you know, as a country that just want to avoid their issues and to not see in the true issues to change that? Or where are we, you know? And that yes. was really concerning to me. Oh, I think, I mean, it should be concerning to every man, woman and child in this country. I mean, right. eventually it's going to come back and bite all of us in the rear end. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like you can't, you can't just eliminate workers' rights and pretend that the only people who matter are the 1%. Um, and that's, that's the Republican yeah. playbook right and now. So really not to avoid the fact that, uh, that workers' health is public health, you know, and especially That's right. the pandemic. If these workers get sick, it's going to go back to the communities where they are, That's and it's exactly just going to go back. They are seen as a as a racist point of view. You know, we are brown, the most affected, but really, we are all human beings, and 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 yes, we can also. The white people can also get sick, so it's just <laughs> as that you know, as that if they didn't have a triple effect. Yeah, well, I mean, it is you know, I think everybody who pays any attention to this sees that the that the nar- largest case loads, uh, the largest numbers of fatalities are now among um, white communities that refuse to get vaccinated and don't wear masks. Mm. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's 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 Darwinian. There you go. Um, we should talk for a second. Let's take a really short break uh, and then we'll come right back. I want, I do want to talk about immigration for a couple of minutes. I know it's not your uh, your primary focus, but we can't really talk about the meatpacking industry without talking about immigration reform. So um, bear with me while I try to get a few details from you. Um, but we'll be right back after the sponsor break. Stay tuned, people. This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. Wisconsin, the state of cheese, makes half of the nation's specialty cheese and wins more awards than any other state or country. Our heritage and traditions, master cheesemaker program, and the American propensity for innovation all put Wisconsin on the cutting wedge of cheesemaking. With over 600 varieties of cheese to choose from and 5,500 national and international awards and counting, get ready to turn your refrigerator into a trophy case. Enjoying a Wisconsin cheese is basically like winning a gold medal in culinary achievement. Set your mind at cheese when you bite into a wedge of Wisconsin wonderful 
you know it is made with the ultimate skill and passion possible. Find your next favorite cheese at wisconsincheese.com. Okay. So anyway, um, the largest uh, demographic uh, that work in meat processing of any type uh, are immigrant communities um, and primarily undocumented workers. Can you talk a little bit about the ways that the lack of documentation um, and the lack of a coherent immigration policy, whatever that might turn out to be, has aided and abetted the exploitation of these workers? Yes. Well, I want to expand the topic, but like to talk about, well, first of all, like immigration in Arkansas happened because of the poultry industry, you know, uh, people from Mexico, actually Tyson was smuggling illegally Mexicans to work in the processing plants, but also a lot of people of Latinx community immigrated from California to work uh-huh. in the processing plants because uh, the processing plants were providing incentives to workers to bring their families, their friends, whoever they wanted to work in these industries. Uh, now, there is also a lot of population. Uh, uh, there is a huge population from the from Marshallese from the Marshall Island coming uh-huh. to work at these processing plants in Springdale. You know. Um, the majority of the workers now uh, in like in those big plants are also documented workers. You know, I've seen that the smaller the plant is, the more um, easily for undocumented people to work. But I see more undocumented people working also in the farms, growing the chickens, you know. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, but also... It, the issue of exploitation doesn't only happen because workers are undocumented. You know, okay. I think that the exploitation goes to all the workers who are vulnerable to not knowing the language, not knowing the culture, because we are also located in wide rural areas where there is a lot of anti-immigrant laws, you know, that yep. uh, make the communities feel powerless um and the, also the issue of uh, yeah of not knowing their own rights in another country right. and just, right. just because we are in rural communities there is not like a lot of opportunities to find other jobs you know so they get locked out into these jobs and don't have more resources so there's a lot of, uh, of things you know that are involved in how these companies operate to keep exploiting workers. And yes, there is a huge population of undocumented people working in processing plants because at the end of the day, these companies are eager to vulnerable workers. They need vulnerable workers to exploit. Sure. Right now, for example, we are seeing a huge population of uh, refugees coming into Arkansas. And it's not really for because Arkansas is so diverse. They care for the immigrants' rights. And, right, right. You know, when I saw that, it was, for me, it was a red flag and knowing that this people are coming to work in the processing plants. And yes, that is has been the truth. Most of the refugees coming to Arkansas are placed in working in processing plants. 
Uh, so now uh, we are going to be seeing probably more people coming uh, with uh, legal status to work. You know, like there was during, during the Trump administra- administration, there was this effort of expanding H2A uh, right. visas to processing workers, you know, because at the end of the day, it, they have learned that it's just a matter of the circumstances that they keep will keep exploiting workers despite of their immigration status. Right now, really, all the workers, essential workers, deserve a path of citizenship, you know? I think other countries have led uh, into those efforts to... to uh, allow uh, undocumented people during the pandemic to become citizens. And I think right now that should be the question, like why are the essential workers still struggling to to have a path of citizenship, you know? Yeah, absolutely. That's a great, that's a great question. Yeah. I mean, my personal view is that immigration, which I thought was going to happen when George W. Bush came into office, he talked a great game about immigration, right? And making immigration reform a priority and his administration was going to solve these problems, blah, blah, blah. And in the end, it was, uh, I think, primarily the food industry that just shut that right down. Because for them, as you've just made the case, for them, having undocumented or documented but vulnerable employees means that they can fire at will, uh, discourage unionization, deny them basic labor rights. I mean, you know, it's just so easy when you have a population that doesn't speak the language very well, doesn't read the language well, you know, and doesn't have, as you said, community support. I mean, one thing I wanted to ask you about is you've mentioned a couple of times anti-immigration laws that are on the books in Arkansas. Can you give us an example of one of those? Well, I mean, the fact that workers are not allowed to even get a driver license, you know. Oh, right. Uh, That they're really struggling to get, I mean, a driver license, an ID, you know. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, that their identity is being erased by the laws is just pretty much what we faced in Arkansas, you know. Incredible. Uh, that also we have uh, this program 287G in place that workers uh, that don't have a driver license, if they get pulled up by the police, they will end up in jail in a process of deportation, you know. Right, right. So this two, uh, 287G uh, policy that exist in a lot of uh, towns in the south and a lot of cities and uh, white uh, rural communities or cities in the south exist. It is precisely to criminalize immigrants, you know. Wow. And to deport them. So, So, yeah. Yes. Right. Incredible. So let's talk about some of the ways that the, your events or most organizing tactics can result in change. Like, well, let, let, let's first of all identify what that change would look like. What are your goals as far as workers go? Because we're going to have to wrap it up pretty soon. Um, but it's like transparency in wages, because I know that people don't know who what everybody else is getting paid you know, in different plants or even inside of a plant. And I know that, for example, poultry, people who raise poultry, the growers have no idea what the guy next, you know, in the farm next door is getting for his birds. So that's, you know, transparency. was Access to adequate health care, that would be another thing, right? Paid sick leave, as we just discussed, mandated breaks and bathroom breaks. People don't realize that when you're working on the chain, on the line, on the processing line, uh, if somebody steps out to take a bathroom break, 
uh, either someone has to come right in and take their place or the chain has to slow down. Nobody likes that. So there's no bathroom breaks. People wear diapers, right? So there's got to be some way of changing that. And what about, and no retaliation for speaking out and organizing. Are there other things that you would like to see um, become sort of the norm rather than the exception in terms of uh, poultry workers? Yeah, one, two things. Uh, one is the regulation of chemicals at the plant and also oh, the yeah. regulation of the line speed uh, right. that needs to be regulated and decreased, actually. Oh, so yeah. Those are the big, uh, some of the biggest ask for the workers that are still struggling right now with the shortage of labor. Less workers are processing the same or more and faster. Right. So there is more accidents um, and yeah. more untrained uh, people doing untrained jobs. So there is uh, more exposure to injuries. Uh, so yeah. there is a lot of things to regulate. And that's why Benzeremos right now, uh, we, as I told you, we are a grassroots uh, worker-led organization that has been very successful because we are giving workers a voice you know, and workers are yep. part of building this work, whereas other organization here is always top down and we always know that the changes must come from the workers. So by uplifting the voices of workers, exposing the stories, uh, we are creating more leadership with the workers, creating this uh, power among workers, you know, that is very needed in these uh, yeah. communities. So we, uh, in the long term, as I said, we plan to adopt the worker-driven social responsibility because if there is no regulation of any policy that worker that company says, if there is no dri driven by workers, if workers don't have a way to monitor any implementation of anything, the workers won't be happening because workers are not part of that. So, yeah, we hope that in the future that can be a truth for poultry workers. Yeah. Unbelievable. So what should consumers learn? You know, what, what do consumers need to know about poultry, the poultry industry? Like what, what would help people understand what is going on in this industry, really across the board in meatpacking, but, um, but poultry workers, especially, I mean, that you mentioned line speed, for example, you know, process. And that was another thing that they exploited during the pandemic was raising a lot of plants, got a dispensation to raise their line speed from, I think, 141 birds a minute. Think about that, people. 141 birds a minute. They wanted to raise it to 175. And I know for a fact that in the past, they have asked for 190. So, I mean, this is just insane, mm -hmm. crazy yes. stuff. They increased the line speed. They they gave some waivers to increase the line speed to 124 yeah. birds per minute to some companies. But also I want to note that because there is no regulation and during the Trump administration, the inspectors of the USDA inspectors have decreased. There is no yes. way the companies will violate the current uh, line speed, you know, because there is if nobody right. is there to check and they need to process more and keep up the, the production quota. Uh, it will be a violation of that. So workers in all the plants have seen an increase of the line speed, even though these companies didn't get a waiver. But because there is not inspectors to regulate anything, the companies right. will violate that. So right, right. Uh, they also, I think the, the important part of the consumers to, to really understand is everything uh, has an effect, you know. How workers are treated obviously will affect the quality 
quality of the meat that we consume, you know. Thank you. So yep. all the workers are talking about that the companies the companies don't care for quality anymore. Um and so that also affects that, but also the the responsibility of and the power of the consumers to change those things for workers. You know, at the end of the day, the power purchase. Uh, we have the power of saying, you know, uh, we are consuming your product. Therefore, I want you to treat the workers with respect. And they right. need to support organizations who are leading those efforts. Venceremos, you know, right, uh, right. to support our work because at the end of the day, it will also benefit them. You know, it's just like they have a responsibility. They have a power to also help uplift the workers' voices. Absolutely. So how do people learn more about Venceremos and the fight to bring better working conditions and wages to meatpacking yeah. workers and poultry workers around the country? Yeah, we're in all social media. We're in, in Facebook with Venceremos Arkansas uh, and also in Twitter, uh, Venceremos.ar and also in Instagram, Venceremos.Arkansas. Uh, and uh, we are now creating our website. So whenever we are ready, probably early next year, we are in the process of that. We are going to be sharing that as well. That's fantastic. Magali, thank you so, so much for joining me today. And, and I hope you'll come back. I mean, I want to stay in touch. I really, I love these interviews. I think you're a terrific spokesperson for your cause. Um, and you understand so deeply and thoroughly the issues that these people are facing. And really, everyone deserves to know this. Like you said, it's the power of purchase. It's the dollar value. It's like if we stop buying from these companies, then they have to make some changes. And, you know, and that's what it's all about, folks. So thank you very much, my dear, for joining me again for another time. Another time. I really appreciate your time. Um, and thanks to my sponsors. And I have one more thing to say, which has nothing to do with this interview, but um, does have to do with other great podcasts. If you enjoyed this episode, I think you will also like Ask a Harvard Professor. There, you will hear from some of the world's most prominent scholars. One episode you might like features Emily Broadleib, a clinical professor of law at Harvard Law School, on finding simple solutions to reduce food waste. Very important topic, people. So subscribe to Ask a Harvard Professor on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify. And please do check her out. And Emily's going to be on my show um, in a few weeks after the Christmas break. I think she's coming on sometime in January and we'll talk more about food waste then. But in the meantime, Magali, thank you again for all of your time. And um, I really appreciate the work that you're doing and, and uh, you know, value your contribution to all of our knowledge base here about these really important questions. So we'll see, folks. Thank you for listening and we'll see you next time. Have a great week. Um, and that's it for today's episode. So long for now. What Doesn't Kill You is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? 
Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.